Hey, it's Jules here. Okay. Lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. All right, everyone. We're going on a safari tonight. A, a virtual safari with Fledge Fiamingo Sun Safaris. How are you doing, Fledge? I am very well. Thank you for having me, Jules. Oh, and we're, you take teams to Africa, speaking at schools, churches, and all kinds of conferences. All along the way, you're sharing Jesus. Can't wait to get the scoop. You're going to give it to me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's coming up here on The Jewel Show. So I'm kind of scared because tonight I have a safari ranger on. And Fledge, if you pull out a snake, I'm out of here. Okay? I just need to let you know. You don't have a snake. No, ma'am. They're all safely back in my home country. <laughs> okay, good. Because I am a little scared. But, you know, if you have an elephant in the parking lot, I'm game. I'm ready for that. Do you yeah. have an elephant in the parking lot? Uh, that happens sometimes, yes. <laughs> sometimes. But this time you, you lost it in customs, is that um, it? Yeah, it's uh, 12,000 pounds. It's pretty difficult to get on your hand luggage. Yeah, it may be carry-on. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay, Fledge Fiamingo Sun Safaris here on The Jewel Show. All right, so if somebody hasn't met you, Fledge, uh, give them the scoop on you. Wow. Um, Take I'm us not back. From, I'm not from around here. Are you kidding me? Um, I, I thought yeah. that accent was more like South Dakota, is it not? <laughs> it's funny because uh, some people say I'm way more Southern than most people because I'm like really like from way down. <laughs> That's true. Um, I can South see Africa. Um, and uh, I've been in this beautiful country since 1999. Okay. I just, I love God and I love his creation. Mm-hmm. Well, so tell me what it was like growing up in South Africa. Wow. Uh, growing up uh, in the 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, we were... Uh, a country just full of anger because we had apartheid, basically segregation, mm-hmm. uh, government segregation. Black people were told to live here. White people were allowed to live there. And it was just angry because of the political strife. And so growing up in an environment where I had or we had no black people in our schools, we black people weren't allowed in restaurants, black people weren't allowed to drive, you know, in certain areas, weren't allowed to be in certain areas. So it was just a... There was just a massive tension um, growing up in that environment. And well, and Floyd, let me ask you. Let me start there and ask you a question. When you say that white South Africans had to live here, black South Africans, so there was literally no, you could not. Oh, cross? you could absolutely cross. Um, the black people always allowed to work where the white people lived. Wow. You know, and in the central business districts and all that, but then they had to go home, and so they were basically put on settlements. They were put in areas where. If, if you were black, you had to live in a certain area. And um, if you were white, then you could choose wherever you wanted to live. So there was just a political segregation. There's literally on paper saying black people had to live here and white people can live, you know, can choose. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's your childhood. <laughs> yeah. And it gets worse, I suppose. <laughs> well, and so did you grow up um, going to church at all? I did. Um, I actually grew up in a Catholic family. And um, I know we'll get to my story as, as far as it goes to 2001, but through all my years of, of going to church and just, just doing the church, church, church every Sunday, I was never explained about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was just something that we did, that we did, that we did. So, yes, we went to church. Did I have a spiritual existence and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not at all. Mm-hmm. South Africa had been at war with another country for about... 20 or so years and so young white South Africans 18 year old um, you were drafted and so at 16 you already got your information in they would call you into the gym and you would literally sign up for the draft at 16 at 16 and then at 18 you get your papers and and off you go and you go and serve for a minimum of two years 
Everybody, right Everyone. after high school. All, all young white males. Okay. Because of the Constitution, because of apartheid, it was compulsory national white service. So only white boys were drafted to the military. Hmm. Okay. And so growing up in a country that's angry already, me as well, where I had no walk with the Lord, my dad had left um, our family in my final year of high school. So my whole world was just angry. Now you give an 18-year-old a loaded weapon and you throw him into the, into the military, you know, and it's just like... So you can imagine just anger, hitting anger, bomb. just, yeah, yeah. just uh, it is exactly that. And your dad left, and then, what, a year later, then you left? Yeah, a year later, I was um, with 50 other guys doing push-ups, sit-ups, and, I mean, literally, you know, learning how to shoot at people, mm -hmm. you know, and... Uh, well, and Fledge, you know what I have learned in my life, that God uses everything. Mm -hmm. even, even when we say, like, there is no way, this is too terrible... So how did God use your time and service? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first of all, um, my, my drill instructor, my first one, was, was just a nightmare. Um, psychological breakdowns and physical breakdowns of wow. people around me was just horrible. And so I actually became an instructor. I became a drill sergeant, if you would. And so there again, you know, 18 years old, and now you have 50 guys underneath you, you know, and sure. some of them have just graduated college. So they're 24 or 25. And so you're 18 and you're in charge. You know, it's amazing. Right. And they're probably just as angry as you oh, are. Oh, <laughs> you have no idea. But what I wanted to do was leverage that from a point of I have authority. And so I want to make your life easier. So you just do what I say uh -huh. and, and we'll get through this together. And so I was trying to use that leadership role, that, that, that part to say, yeah, I know you don't want to be here, but let, you know, let's, uh, I didn't want to be my first drill instructor. I wanted to be something where these guys could actually get through, you know, to kind of leverage my ability to, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to do a lot of running. <laughs> you know, yeah, if you don't sure. do what I tell you, you're going to do a lot of push-ups. But please, I tell you what to do, you do it, and we'll be able to get through this together. Yeah, yeah, and um, survive this. And survive this, yeah. When you look back in those military years, mm -hmm. did you hear God? And Can you see where he was moving you um, and directing you, even though your heart was so far away from him? You know, it was that time that the whole country was just in turmoil. Sure. Um, Nelson Mandela had just been released from prison. Mm -hmm. uh, the country was changing, and uh, we were ready for a civil war, which thankfully to his leadership didn't happen. And at that point in my world, as far as um, God goes, it was non-existent still. It was still because we were just so young, immature, and absolutely self-fulfilled on what we had to achieve during that time. And so there wasn't even a thought of, you know, is there a God? And we saw some pretty pretty harsh things during that time as well. Um, but uh, there will be a, a transmost story that I'll show you when, where God started showing up. But the military was, it's probably the, the best two years of my life I never want to do again. Yeah, so when you were done with your service, take me, take me to the next step, what happened? Uh, I became a scuba diver. And I took people on dives in the Indian Ocean. Uh, I was a dive master. My job was to take people down and show them fish and octopus and <laughs> whales and take them dolphin, you know, on dolphin rides and wave jumping and all that. Because of my love for creation, and I've always had that urge, and that is when I think the Lord started showing up in my world because really? I just remember being down in the ocean at 45 feet, you know, which is not deep, but you can spend 40 minutes <laughs> and it's quiet. There's no burglar alarms and babies crying and and there's life you know there's fish and there's there's the amazing marine animals and i just remember stopping at one point going 
this is my job. You know, I'm, no one's telling me to go to work. This is my job, you know. And, and there was just a sense of peace involved with that. Growing up uh, in the United States, most kids, most young boys might want to be the new point guard or the new, you know, lead pitcher or the new quarterback. And for me growing up, I wanted to be a safari ranger. I, I just grew up watching documentaries that just enthralled me um, about creatures and animals, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a safari ranger. And I had the absolute opportunity to train and work for one of the most prestigious lodges in the world. So then how did you come to the Lord? Was it being a safari ranger? You know, um, after hosting thousands and thousands and thousands of people from around the planet on safari and seeing an amazing interaction, things that you only see on documentaries while sitting on your couch. I mean, we literally lived this on the side of a vehicle. Um, I just remember one night uh, for about 40 minutes, my guests and I watched a spider in the lights of the vehicle and the spotlight from my tracker. Hmm. Um, we watched a spider make its web. And I just sat there and I just thought, man cannot do this. And then I just thought, there's got to be something greater. And that is when I truly started thinking, oh my gosh, this is... This is not my life is just yeah, the Lord started started working through his creation So what did you do when you when you saw that spider and you saw that spider web? Isn't that amazing that God wants us to know him that yes. he makes a spider which my husband hates um, And a spider web to speak to you yeah. um, something as small and immaculate as that uh, Having the opportunity once apartheid had fallen away um, the world opened up its borders I had felt like I had literally traveled the world with all my international guests that are on my vehicle telling me about their countries. And so I wanted to travel. And my first port of call was Australia. And I wanted to go and learn about the Aboriginal walkabout where they do dream time and they, do, they, they live off the land and they believe in a greater being. And so there was something that was just tugging at my heart saying, yes, there's something more hmm. and, and you've got to go and look for it. And so Australia was my first port of call. And then I had a, a guest on my vehicle a couple of years before, and she said, if you're going to be halfway around the world in Australia, I live in Atlanta. Why don't you come visit and we'll go on a road trip? And so that's how I got to the United States. <laughs> All right. So you went on a road trip in the United States. And then, and then what happened? Uh, I didn't find anything in Australia as far as the Aboriginal walk. I came here and it was uh, moving towards Native American way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, Dancers with Wolves became my favorite movie. And, it's you know, a good one. Exactly. They, you know, they, they, they loved they love something bigger, they worship something greater, and I was just drawn to that. And it came to a point where I just started asking the right people the right questions at the right time. And with all this investigation from all these different things that, that I thought were true, that were, they were not, uh, I finally asked someone the right question at the right time, and I said, so why Jesus? And who was that? Who did you ask that to? That was my wonderful friend, Tim Hudson. He's my mentor. And uh, after years of spending a Bible study with him and asking him questions, that was that question that I asked him. I said, Tim, why Jesus? And what did he say? He said, Fledge, he's the only one that died and came back. And after years of searching, the light turned on. And I realized that I needed to give my life to the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, I gave my life to the Lord and I had the honor of Tim baptizing me. Uh -huh. And what's amazing is that transition period in my life that um, my life was just full of steel bars. And when I gave my life to the Lord, uh -huh. all those bars kind of turned to cloud and disappeared. That's how, that's how I see it in my own existence. Like I was free. And what's amazing is that the more that I got into God's word, the more it took me back 
and I realized the parallels of being a ranger on safari and how that can tie in with having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would sit with Tim and tell him all these stories about being a ranger. And he would just sit there over coffee going, oh, my gosh, Fledge, your, your whole perspective is so absolutely unique. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he actually invited me on as an intern at CCF, Christian Campus Fellowship, and then as a full-time staff member. And he said, mm-hmm. welcome aboard. Now you have to raise your own money. And I'm going, what? I'm in America. <laughs> I'm entitled. I need 100000 You know, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. But, <laughs> but um, fundraising is hard enough. And I'm not from here. I don't have any friends, any family. You know, this is 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. So how old were you? I was like, like uh, 20s? 30, uh, early 30s at this stage. Okay. Yeah. And Tim said to me, Fledge, you know those stories you tell me about your experiences as a ranger? And you tell me how, how this applies to having a walk with Christ? He said, people would pay you to come and share that. And the seed for Sun Safaris was born. And I used it as a tool to say, hey, could I come speak at your church? Can I come speak at your event? Would you gift me a gift to go to the ministry that helps pay my salary? And that was in 2003. In 2009, the Lord opened the doors and said, "Um, Fledge, instead of doing what you do with my creation on PowerPoint, what happens if you went back to Africa and did on the back of a vehicle so that people could experience me through African creation while on safari? Just like you, just like you did when you were exactly, uh-huh. and those are my two absolute passions God and His creation. If I can sit down and tell someone about a snake or a, an elephant or a bird, and then not just a uh, some people go to Africa and they see a zebra, and I go, Really, you saw a zebra? and they go, Yeah, and I go, What type of zebra was it? Oh, I don't know. It's like, Do you know there's four different types? I did not know that. How do you tell the difference? What do they eat? How much do they weigh? Is it a male or a female? You know, is it black with white stripes or white with black stripes? You know, uh-huh. but then how does God communicate through the zebra? And that is the uniqueness of what we do with like the ministry of sun safaris. What's so fantastic about being a safari ranger and taking people out on safari, probably maybe for their first time, is that Africa has a way of just leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. When you park Sir George and Lady Jane 10 feet from a bull elephant. They become George and Jane. (laughs) An elephant doesn't care how many zeros are in your bank account. They don't care how many corporations you own. They don't care. It's just amazing. And being a safari ranger, it just absolutely allows everyone just to be on on the even kill, that you can talk to them and teach them things that they have never known or never seen before. Mm -hmm. And that's just a wonderful opportunity to to share God through his creation, both on a vehicle or speaking at events. Mm-hmm. And because you're a local guy here in Athens. In fact, we were talking in the, se- in, in the break that we think our house is back up to each other. We might be neighbors and didn't even realize it. Um, so how does a local guy lead safaris? Like, do you lead teams through Bear Hollow Zoo or <laughs> is it just like that? No, what is absolutely amazing is through the speaking events that I've had around the U.S. over the last years, People have asked, oh, do you go back to Africa? Do you do stuff in Africa? And I never thought this would ever be, but in 2009, the Lord said, we're going to go back to Africa. So what we do is we put together small teams of no more than 10 people because a safari vehicle takes 10 people. And we actually do missions. We do Christian missions. We do Christian service. And so we do two sides of it. One is humanitarian. So we help with kids in a children's home. But because... I'm a safari ranger and we have a relationship with a game reserve over there. Our teams actually stay on a private reserve during the duration of their stay. Like intense? Like intense. 
Wow. Literally, we are ones in a cage because we have a little fence going around us, and then the animals come <laughs> up and see us. So we so have it's like reverse. Exactly. It's the reverse of Bear yeah. Hollow Zoo. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And being on the reserve, not only do I get to take you on safari and show you animals, but um, we get to help with conservation projects, which is pivotal. The, the rhino, we've managed to put, um, we've helped put microchips in the horns of rhino to stop anti-poaching. Uh, coming up in November this year, we're going to be putting a radio collar on an elephant to help with the tracking and social structures. And so Sun Safaris is really geared towards welcome to Africa. You're going to get to see God's creation and experience God's creation in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get hands-on experience of actually why are we doing certain things with certain endangered species? Because us as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to look after what God has created. Mm-hmm. And so how do you weave the gospel and, and the Bible when you show them this? This is wonderful. Um, the, to, to kind of bridge that as well is uh, my interactions over the years, so many people have gone to Africa to serve from a humanitarian perspective. Hey, uh, we, we went to work in an orphanage and uh, we were in this country and, and they'll come and tell me there's experience. And, and who doesn't want to go halfway around the world and not see some wildlife, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's usually an extra checkbox or an, or an extra uh, cost to say, come and serve for two weeks or three months and then we're going to take you on safari. So we're going to pack you up, drive you nine hours down the road, and then you're going to see some animals. Uh, take a picture of a zebra and, and come home. And so what the Lord put on my heart is say, like, Fledge, instead of doing humanitarian or animals, why don't we combine that experience together? And so what we do with Sun Safaris is we combine humanitarian with conservation mm-hmm. without the added price tag or without the added itinerary, if you would. And so from a scriptural and from a, oh, my gosh, seeing God through his creation, I, may I give you an, like an analogy, a metaphor? A, uh, yeah. Okay. Zebra, black and white, whole bunch of lines together, right? Uh, a group of lines is called a pride and a, a group of snakes for you is called a nest or, you know. Danger, you, right. There you go, That's danger, what it's yeah. called for me. Do you have any idea what a group of zebra would be called with all these black and white lines coming together? I, I don't, static? I don't know. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I was thinking about the TV, you know. A dazzle. Oh. Think about black and white lines coming, uh-huh. to, how difficult it is to pick out one zebra in a, a whole dazzle of zebra, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that lines are colorblind? No, I did not. So again, I could sit on the back of a vehicle and teach you about a lion. We could sit there and we could talk for an hour just about the eyes of the lion. So a lion's like colorblind. Can you imagine a colorblind animal hunting a group of zebra? They wouldn't be able to. Very difficult, right? Yes. They it's would. hard for a predator to pick out one animal. So when there's a, a community, mm-hmm. a dazzle, there's strength. What the lion will ultimately do is charge the herd, break one away possibly. Mm-hmm. Now they can focus, right? Mm-hmm. Satan doesn't want Christian community. When there's a community of Christians together, that is a dazzle. It is hard to attack people that are accountable to each other, that are spending time together, that are in God's word together. Doesn't mean that Satan's not going to try. And he will storm your group. And he's going to break him away or her away. And I have a situation in my life where that happened. And, you know, there you go. The whole, you know, as one man sharpens another, you know, being in a community is absolutely important. And Satan does not want us to side with the king who shamed him, and he is going to come and storm that dazzle mm-hmm. of Christians. I think about that scripture, Fledge, about the, uh, Satan's a roaring lion looking to kill, steal, and destroy. We are continuing our conversation with Fledge Fiamingo, Sun Safaris, here on The Jewel Show tonight. 
you were just sharing your heart for conservation, and you said something really amazing. Creation care is what how you see it. From a from a young age, I have always always loved creatures, anything from antlions to bees to soaring eagles. I just I just love learning the trivial facts that just amazes me about the intricate web that literally God has created with all the interactions. And so. As humans, we've really messed up this planet in so many different ways. It's just, uh, it's just mm. we've, we've put animals onto reserves. You know, we have the beautiful Yellowstone. We have Yosemite. You have all those fantastic places where they're now refuges. You're ref, you know, ref, ref, refugees. No, refu- refuges. Refuges. What's that word? Like, <laughs> Ants and nodding. Yeah, she's like yes. a refuge for animals. They're like, refuge they, for they, they're, they're not really refugees. <laughs> but it, thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, I'm Listen, sorry. if you ever have a question, just look at Ann. Okay. She directs me. She, um, I told you when you came in, I said she's the brains behind the operation. <laughs> and so don't look at me. I don't know. <laughs> so so okay. from, from my perspective, I've always wanted to be a ranger. And it's like my way of doing something, not only to just to show people something they've never seen in their life, but actually share what makes that animal do what it does. And, and in, in so many ways, educate. That will just give them a whole different appreciation and then allow God to show up through that. And so whether you are a believer of God or, a, or if it's evolution versus creationism, you sit on a vehicle and you watch a giraffe walk or you watch a, a creature interact with another creature. For our ministry, Romans one twenty is the verse... And right at the end of the verse, you know, through all things that God has created, people have seen the earth and sky. Therefore, you have no excuse for not knowing God. And to take people from the United States, to let them travel literally halfway around the world and have the opportunity to go, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. For me, that is the most amazing feeling for me on the planet. And then what can we do to preserve this environment that these creatures live mm-hmm. and so they get that opportunity to be part of that mm-hmm. and steward the, the world and the creation that god has given us i always think about it when i'm um, out you know outside uh, of the athens area and i'm in my personal wilderness i know it's not you know i know you really are way out there but i think you know god created all of this so that i could see him mm-hmm. so it all creation will point back to him i thought about that you know um a while ago now, a couple of months when the eclipse, you know, that all of these people had stopped and had hopefully their protective glasses and looked up at the heavens and that, wow, that he designed all of this so that we could see and, and maybe know and know him. Yeah, very much so. One of my favorite things to do, and I did this as a ranger when I was a senior ranger, is I took on the astronomy side of teaching junior rangers about the southern hemisphere night sky and to take teams down to South Africa where we're sitting at about 3,000 feet and it's winter, there's no pollution and there's no haze. And I took my nine-year-old boy this year and we walked down to our room and I said, turn off your flashlight, close your eyes for 10 seconds and then look up. And I wish I had recorded it because he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's looking up at the Milky Way and you could see, you know, you could see this band of stars. You know, here we look up and it's a black sky with yeah. little white spots. Over there, it's a white sky with little black spots. <laughs> and to sit with teams and tell them about the constellations and the sizes and what's up there, it is phenomenal to watch people look up and go, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And I love that. 
I love that. And we have, we have interactions with internationals because we stay at a research camp. People who don't know Jesus, people from Europe, they, Jesus is non-existent. And they'll come and walk around when we now do the astronomy side of what we do for our group. And, and they'll have friends arrive later and they go, Fletch, can you do the astronomy again tonight? You know, these are Germans, these are Irish, these are... And it's like, and, and, and what's great is I don't stand there with a Bible beating them on the head. I just want to open up a world that they may not have seen before. And I think Holy Spirit has an opportunity yeah. then to start laying some foundations. So much so that our interactions with our teams this year and last year, a lady from Denmark was a researcher, and she joined one of my teams from Denmark to know who is this Jesus? Wow. And why do these people do what they do? And it's amazing. Again, Africa has a way of leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a spiritual walk, what better field to have? Do you find it easy to bridge and to share Jesus with them? Very, very much so. Um, you know, the, the Lord has so many opportunities to open up the doors for conversation. And being on a vehicle, being in Africa and preparing to go on safari and prepare to go and look after and, and tend God's creation it is a fantastic platform. But it just extends so much further than that. Because um, my wife and I, we, we live about two blocks from a Starbucks down here in Athens. I'm trying to figure out how to fly a drone over there to get my coffee in the morning. You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> Amazon Prime it to you. <laughs> exactly. And I go there almost daily. Um, it's literally like my office. And uh, I work out of there and I interact. And I, I've been going there for so many years that I know the managers of Starbucks. I know the, the owner, not the owners, the, the regional directors and all. And in our interactions over the years... Um, it's really funny because I meet new people uh, who start working there and I tell them that I'm the owner of Starbucks and they, some of them come and say, hey, it took me three months to realize that you're not the <laughs> you're owner not, of Starbucks. You're not that, I mean, you do have their color green on right now. <laughs> exactly, but, yeah. Yeah. but what's amazing is that um, one thing that really uh, creates a segue into, hey, Fledge, what do you do and how do you do it is my accent. People are like, where are you from? And what do you do? You know, it's like, He's and from so, deep South Georgia. Exactly. <laughs> and so that just allows me to, to tell people a little bit the, the five-second story, and uh-huh. then they want to know more and more and more. But with the, the, the people working at Starbucks and the years of interactions that we've had with them, as a barista, you, they get a pound of coffee free a week. Over the years, I have approached these people that I have spent time with over years who work there asking if they would donate their pound of coffee to the children's home and to the people working on the reserve. We have probably taken about 180 pounds of coffee over the years to South Africa to give. Each of these coffees have got personalized notes to the people working. So Greg, who runs uh, the research camp, hey, Greg, this is my favorite coffee. Thanks for all you do. Love, Stephanie. Or, hey, Greg, this is, you know. And what's amazing is that people that work at Starbucks, not all of them know the Lord. But yet I get an opportunity to share with them because there are some people that don't know Christ. And I blatantly know that they have told me. And in the box of coffee gifts, there's 17 pounds from that one individual that they have donated to someone they haven't even met on the other side of the planet. And you talk about the opportunity to share Christ is because when I come back after six or eight weeks, I walk in the store and it's like, Fledge, you're back. How was your trip? <laughs> and I get an opportunity to now show them pictures and show them video. And they just, it just allows Holy Spirit to like 
encompass their world without saying to them, your lifestyle is wrong and you don't believe the right thing. And you, 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 I'm not going to talk to you, you know, because of this and this, um, because I believe we mentioned Tim Hudson. My prayer request is for people to ask the right people the right questions at the right time. Yeah. And Jesus because that's Christ. that's what you did. Exactly. Yeah. You asked Tim Hudson, who is this? Why Jesus? Exactly. Yes. And I think Jesus Christ did the most incredible thing with what I can maybe consider the 12 dumbest people on the planet, you know, the <laughs> disciples. Disciples, you know? yeah. He did one thing for three years. It sums up it in four words. Spend time with them. Jesus spent time every day with these 12 for three years. And he hmm. changed their world. Simple interactions at Starbucks. Yeah. where I get to spend time with people who don't know Jesus allows conversations to say, why do you do this fledge? Or wow, even to the point that we have baristas wearing Sun Safari shirts now, hmm. and we have people coming from Starbucks with me in May next year. And she has openly said, I don't know who God is, but I want to go with you. Thank you, Lord. What? There are two African predators. I learned that because I looked at your website. <laughs> so I didn't know that before. Don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, you like that? Yeah. The, as much as I know, I, um, I do watch a lot of National Geographic. So that's about as deep as my um, safari knowledge is. Oh, the, um, I am so looking forward to you and your family coming over this one year. Seriously. I know. You'll see it firsthand. Yeah, I would love to. So, all right. So you make a correlation between the two African predators and our spiritual walk. Nowhere on the planet will you find like a more bloodthirsty battle than between lions and hyenas. And I know that through geographic. Yeah, geographic. just amazing. Yeah. Uh, and when, I, when the Lord put it on my heart to do this, because for the first couple of years I was speaking at events and I was just sharing about my experiences, my personal experiences as a safari ranger. And I was uh, having some time with the Lord. And I'm like, gracious Father, I've, I only have so many experiences. They're finite because I, I wasn't in the safari industry anymore. And the Lord said, okay, <laughs> now we're going to do it through my creation. And he literally opened up this interaction between lions and hyenas. And you're right, both super predators. And after about 45, 50 minutes in prayer with the Lord, I literally had to say, you need to stop because I have to start writing this down. I need to come up for a breath of air <laughs> because he had opened up this fledge. You know about this. You've seen this. Uh -huh. So now let's put it in a PowerPoint presentation where... The lions represent being Christ followers and the hyenas represent everything else. And it's basically these two forces in Africa are at murderous, bloodthirsty war against each other. Let's go and tell the story at groups, at conferences, at retreats, at colleges, at youth camps, where people can see the visual war between these two, but then go, did you know that there's another war? There's a spiritual war happening. And for us, we have to make a decision. Are we going to be on the pride for Christ, which is, are you going to be a lion or are you going to be part of whatever doesn't represent being a lion? And what's absolutely phenomenal about this, this whole series yeah. is that you think of the, of the hyenas being these cowardly little creatures and the lions being, you know, the Lion King, you know, whoa, yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And then uh -huh. like, you know, a little old laughing. These guys are on top of the food chain. But there are parts in uh, parts of Botswana in, in Africa where literally the hyena population, the clan of hyena, reaches 60, 70 or 80 in a clan. And so they are literally overwhelming and outnumbering you know, a group of 20 lions. Wow. And so when they come to battle, 
the lions are outnumbered, overwhelmed, and overpowered, and they literally have to find um, refuge in the trees. They have got to climb. Hyenas can't climb trees, and so these mighty lions get pushed up into trees by hyenas, literally because of numbers. Purely because of numbers. And, and I relate that to our world today. Like, don't we feel outnumbered sometimes? Yes. You know, as Christians, like we stand up for our faith and then a lawyer steps in and shuts our business down. Yes. Or we step up for our faith and suddenly we're not allowed to do this because we believe in Jesus. Or, yes. yes. And so there's so many hyenas. And the premise of that whole idea, and it's a fantastic four-part series, but think about our Lord and Savior. He himself was up on a tree with all the hyenas running around and he won. He came down from the tree and he won. Us as Christians, unfortunately, we swap sides sometimes. One day we're a lion, the next day we are a hina. One day we're a lion and yeah. we're moving back and forth. Right. And Jesus is very adamant. He goes, listen, choose one. If, you, if you're hot or cold, please don't be lukewarm. Choose a side. Otherwise, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Right. And so our job is to not only choose Christ, but to do what he says. You know, and what's amazing is that in our in our culture today, we might feel like we're being alone. We're alone at following the Lord, mm-hmm. and the odds are against us. Exactly. I might not understand your home situation, your school situation, but Jesus does. Because the most loneliest words for me in Scripture is with Jesus is up on the cross, and it's like, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Jesus knows what it likes to be alone, and so in our struggles, and we feel like we're alone, we can take it to Him. Whether you Believe in him or not, trust me, you can close your eyes and say, I need help with this. What does it mean to be a father? What is it mean? You have an opportunity to go to our Heavenly Father at any time and say, now what's cool about lions versus hyenas is if you're a lion, you're a lion. If you're a hyena, you're a hyena. As a Christian today, if you find yourself scampering up trees to get away from the so-called lions in your, or hyenas in your life, that means that you are willing to stand up for what you believe in. In other words, you're not just swapping sides. And so you take that as a visual in a four-part series, and that's just the final part. Never mind the rest of it, okay? Yeah. It just, I've had preachers at a conference come to me at the end going, Fledge, I've, I've spoken about this scripture for years. I've, I've preached mm-hmm. about this. I have never seen it in this perspective, and this is absolutely unique. And so that is what we want to bring to an event. Learning about Africa learning about the animals and seeing your passion are you just um so shocked and and so humbled to say god is using me a a a boy that grew up in south africa that you said in a world that was so angry that was so segregated um that you didn't even know who god was until you were older much older so what is that like to you to say man it's i did a i did a recap of everyone in my life from high school onwards good or bad in my life and i just everything just points to that beautiful little poem footprints in the sand Mm -hmm. and no matter how good or bad it was in my life how jules i get to sit in a radio station with you right now you know and talk about this yeah and all like how god has been on the forefront of everything and now that i can sit back and go wow and when I gave my life to the Lord, I, I have a very dark history. And I have friends here in Athens who grew up for the first 30 years of their life knowing the Lord, but now they're just um, going in a different direction. And when I gave my life to the Lord, they were like, Fledge, been there, done that. And my heart went out to them. I was a baby Christian. I still am a baby Christian. But I just thought, I'm going to pray for them because they spent 30 years knowing the Lord. They're going to spend the rest of their life not knowing. I spent 30 years not knowing the Lord, and I am so thankful that I get to spend the rest of my days worshiping and knowing Him. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just footprints in the sand for me with the whole two sets of footprints and one set of footprints. For me personally, I think once Jesus picks you up, he doesn't ever put you down again. Yeah. I don't think there was ever a, a second set of footprints for me in my life where Jesus, go, I got this, I got this, I got this. And my wife's like, how do you deal with all this stuff? I mean, I'm running an international ministry yeah. out of Starbucks in Athens, Georgia. I mean, come on, are you kidding, right? And an Athens guy is a safari ranger. Oh, my gosh. It's hilarious. And I was in prayer with the Lord the other day going, this is all you because I'm not smart enough to do this. Okay, because yeah. it's amazing what we have to get done. And so... um my wife always says, how do you deal with all this? And I said to her, Jules, that's your wife. That's my wife. That's Julie. Yeah. <laughs> I said, for over 30 years of my life, I fought my own battles. And when I gave my life to the Lord, they are no longer my battles. When stuff hits my world, I can turn around and go, it's not my fight. It's his. And so I'm thankful that I can hand the junk that the world wants to bring in my world and say, I have the creator of the universe that's going to take care of this and then just carry on doing what he wants me to do. You know, I was, and I still am, uh, broken for so many years, just lost. And it's just, uh, one, one cannot really tell people how your life changes when you give it to, the, to Christ. Yeah. And I use a surfing analogy. I used to surf growing up. And you get up on the board for the first time after falling down, falling down, falling down. But you get on the board for the first time with the whole power of the ocean behind you. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jules, I could sit here and, and ask you, have you ever surfed? And you can go, yes or no, whichever. No. But until you actually get on a surfboard one day and fall off a few times, uh-huh. but then you stand up and you're standing and you have the whole power of the ocean behind you. Mm. I could sit here for the next 15 days telling you how that felt. But until you actually do it yourself, you're never going to know. And so to have the opportunity to let people know that they're loved, yeah. that if anyone wants to begin judging, um, I always use this for people that, uh, who, who kind of are concerned that I'm a, I'm a minister, if you would, or if, you know, I share Jesus. And, and I say to them, listen, God's got a clock in heaven for everyone. And every time you do something wrong, you know, it's got your name on it. Every time you do something wrong, it ticks once. Okay, so mine is in God's kitchen because he's using it as a fan. Okay, <laughs> so you can br- begin with me. You can begin judging with me again leveling the playing field and if Mm. i have the opportunity to let people know Mm. why i do what i do that might let them see well i want to be part of that Mm -hmm. Uh, who is this jesus who is this god to watch them get up on a surfboard for the first time you know and them going now you talk about the light bulb now i get it and to give you a safari analogy jules i'm looking forward to taking you on a, your very first ever safari. Okay. So picture you go out and we decide we're going to maybe go and try and find lions, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we might find the tracks or we might have an idea and we come around the corner and there he is. And you're probably falling out the vehicle. Like, oh my God, there's a, there's a, there's Three a dimensional there, lion. Know, there's, a, there's a lion, you know? Yeah. And so, um, all through scripture, those are the lion tracks. Scripture, I think, yeah. is God's lion tracks to be able to point people and say, we're going to go and find a lion and they're just going to be following the tracks. But one day they come around the corner and they see the lion of Judah yeah. <laughs> for the first time. Sure. And their whole, the light just goes, I was like, now I see him. As a safari ranger, for you to see your first giraffe, your first zebra, your first, are you falling out the vehicle? Showing people Christ and the light going on is the most amazing thing. And it, it might not be in my timeline. 
I might just be there. I think it's the, the, uh, the A to Z theory. Mm-hmm. Our job is just to get people closer to Z. And so LM is, you know, baptism, giving your life to the Lord. I was probably a triple A, you know, far away from here. <laughs> yeah. But every time we interact with someone, our job, I think, as Christians is to bring them closer to Z, which is being with the Lord. And so whether I meet someone at C and I take them to D or whether I meet someone at P and I take them to Q, my job is to bring them closer into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to watch people's lives change where I might be there at D, E, and F, and then someone else is there during baptism is fantastic. And to get a note or to get an email and say, I just gave my life to the Lord. And it's like, yes, I was part of that story. Fantastic. And I just think that that, that's our role. That's our job. And I just get to do it in a different and unique way. You know, you're no stranger to all the kids in our community because you speak at FCA huddles, youth groups, retreats, just just to name a few. What surprises the kids when you talk with them? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, um, it starts off with just opening my mouth. <laughs> you ain't from you know, around here. Yeah, I ain't from. It's like whoa! You just watch the expression, and then suddenly, I mean, you have the attention, which is just great. Yeah, you know, and pe- yeah. and teachers are like, "Can I just borrow your accent you, in classroom?" Can you go too? over the math facts for yeah. my children? <laughs> you just make it sound so amazing. But the again, oh, Africa, animals, safaris, and it's such a world away. People just light up, and you just mention that to a kid or a group of kids. And they, just watching their reaction, they are enthralled. They are absolutely enthralled. And so a lot of times when I, when I spend time with kids, they have to put up their hands in class and you know, that's respectful for teachers and all that. But I, I try and break away from that as well to say, this is a shout out if you know the answer. And I, and I make a deal with them. What, what do the t- teachers do? Do they like cringe? Oh, they, they do cringe, but it's bit. cool because I try and, you know, <laughs> I, it's just a way that we can set the tone to say, listen, I'm going to give you this. But when I put my hands up and say, okay, I want to keep going, I've got a lot of stuff I want to share. Uh-huh. You guys need to settle down. And it's cool because it's like, I'm thinking of an animal and it's got a horn out of its face. And it's like, right, 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 you know, and then like I'm hearing warthog and I'm hearing buffalo and I'm, and all these kids are just shouting out all these answers. And I let them go, obviously, because it's like they're just, you know, only what, time of the day they can do this. Exactly. Well, I play a sound, it's like it's a sound on, on audio, and they're like, What animal is this? And they're like, Whoa! You know, and then you tell them that this animal is the most dangerous, well, considered the most dangerous animal in Africa, and it kills more creatures or people in Africa, and da da da. And they're like, What? And then you show them a picture of a hippo. And they go, Whoa! And then it's like, Everyone's calm. And so like, I didn't know that. A hippo kills? They, there's a big thing about hippos and crocodiles, because hippos don't eat people, but crocodiles do. But hippos are incredibly dangerous creatures what yeah. do they do I, don't, um, I, I need a little bit of facts here they, they weigh about two thousand pounds okay so they're huge they live in the river during the day or the water because they don't have sunscreen basically on their body so they have to protect themselves so safety in the water males incredibly territorial just whoa okay and and they people can't see but um hippo can hop he, hold, he's doing his hands yeah up. my hands um hippo we're, can open his mouth bigger than fledged. what i am yeah. i know i know but think, yeah. think how tall i am jules you know <laughs> yeah i see okay, you. okay. Yeah, i'm not very tall so anyway um a hippo can open <laughs> its mouth this is the radio you can tell everybody <laughs> yeah. hey i'm really tall <laughs> over six feet everybody yeah tall dark and two out of three is not bad anyway um <laughs> but a hippo, a hippo hollywood can, <laughs> show business okay good, a, good, good, a hippo can open its mouth bigger than i am and some of its teeth are not teeth. They are considered tusks because they are longer than six inches. And a lot of people think hippo eat fish. Nope, they don't eat fish. They come out at night to eat grass. So they're like a cow. In fact, the Afrikaans name is sea cow, if you would. They will venture two or three or four miles away from the river, the safety of the water, to come and eat grass. And then when 
they're walking back down to the safety of the water. A lot of people are either walking on the riverbanks. They're going to go and do their washing. They're going to collect water, whatever else. Suddenly the hippo is out of its comfort zone. I want to get back to the water and you're in the way. And so you've got something that can run at 25, 30 miles an hour that's got a gaping jaw with huge teeth. Yeah. Wow. And they will take, they will take you out. Hippo are incredibly dangerous creatures. So if you see a hippo on the tin loop, you need to get out of the way. Yeah, if you see a hippo on the tin loop, then Athens is in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good note. What was the animal that was on, that was loose in Athens? Llama. The llama. Uh, the llama, yeah. The llama. Did you have anything to do with that? Was it your llama? <laughs> did I let it go or did I catch it? Did no, you, neither. Did, was it your llama? <laughs> no, it wasn't my llama. <laughs> that was by far the most random thing that ever happened, I do believe. And it's funny because... It, my phone seems to light up when something like that happens because all my everyone's <laughs> like getting hold of me. There's a tiger in uh, somewhere in Atlanta. And, oh my is it your tiger, no, Fledge? Oh my gosh, no. All right, no. so Fledge had nothing to do with the llama. No, not at all. I it was see not it. your llama. I, you did see I, it. I, well, I saw it on video, but no. Oh, you did not yeah. see it live, mm-hmm. man. No. And no. and did you? You didn't help capture it. No, no. The police like to do things themselves. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't call the. I wouldn't know what to do. So far, what am I supposed to do? Like, hey, llama. I mean, I don't. I don't catch animals. I just look at them, you know. <laughs> From a safe distance is what we're learning. That's what we're learning about. All right. Now, you have talking about working with the orphanage mm. in Africa. Tell me about that. Sometimes short-term missions, anything two weeks, three weeks, up to three months or so, they, they sometimes get a bad rap when it comes to are you doing any good? You're only there for two weeks. How much impact can you make? Sure. Uh, and, and probably rightly so. And why should, I, why should I help you fundraise something? Is this more of a vacation for you? Uh, people who join us uh, on our missions, you know, uh, sometimes like sun safaris, you know, Jesus is the son of God, safaris. Are you just going on a, like a glorified vacation? You know, so there's a lot of like, there's sometimes there's a lot of pushback. And so mm-hmm. when, when, when some ministries go and help, sometimes they do more harm. Mm-hmm. In environments, because the American culture is an amazing culture to where and global where people want to go work, they want to go help, they want to bring their resources, mostly it's money or maybe it's supplies and all that. And so inevitably, what might happen over time is that you just become a bank account. Mm-hmm. And if you think about how many billions of dollars have been poured into Africa to help with aid, yeah. like where, where's the money? And why has nothing changed over 30 or 40 years? Mm-hmm. And so the relationship that we have with our children's homes and what I teach our teams, we, we teach all our teams the fundamental part. We cannot take our American perspective. Uh, I teach in three letters, TIA, yeah. this is Africa. What makes sense to you in Athens or Wisconsin or whatever might not make sense when you put it in Africa. And I tell my teams as well, we are not going to arrive with a 50-inch screen TV and then tell everyone to become Georgia Bulldog fans. <laughs> Because the children's home is going to go, we don't need a TV. Uh, we need running water or we need supplies for a kitchen. or, you know. And so we don't come with the aspect of saying we are going to give because you have to have. Mm-hmm. What we do is what do you need help with? And so we go to the children's homes where we will help them with their day-to-day schedules. Their job, because they are there 365 days a year, we're only there for 10 or 12 or however long our teams are for. We are there to assist them with what they're doing. So we're not leaving a void when we leave. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't want the kids to know, hey, look, the rich Americans are here. What are we getting this time? And so we have taken hundreds of pounds of school supplies and bits and pieces, but everything is done. All the transactions are behind doors, behind closed doors with the staff of the children's home. 
And so the kids don't have to know that we've brought backpacks or we've brought pens and pencils and clothes. and They don't have to know that. And one of the major things that we did um, last year is we, had, uh, we asked the children's home, we've got some college students that want to teach some kids how to crochet. Do your kids want to learn how to crochet? And they threw up their two thumbs and they said, <laughs> we would love. So we had kids, college students, go over and spend a couple of days teaching these kids a trade, teaching them how to crochet. And we gave literally hundreds of pounds of donated yarn to the home behind closed doors. They govern, hey, do you want another piece of yarn? Do you want this? They don't have to see that we brought it. We're just going to teach them a skill. And what's amazing is six months later, I get a picture from the people from the home, and some girls made a blanket for one of the new kids that's come. Or wow. someone's made gloves. or someone's, And it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. You know. And so our interactions is, what can we do to help? Hi, we're back again. What can we do to help? Hi, we're back again. Yeah. What can we do to help? Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right, so Fledge, we've heard about Sun Safaris and all the different ways that we can be involved and all the different ways the gospel is going forward through this ministry. How can we get more information? Well, you know, the worst thing you could ever do for a business is create a name that you have to spell. When you say Sun Safaris, people think S-U-N, Sun Safaris. Uh Yeah. Well, it's Sun as in Jesus is the Son of God. Safaris, I'm a safari ranger, so it just kind of made sense. Sunsafaris.com.org. We're all over the internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And there is so much information about finding out how to book me to come speak at an event. And we've got all the information, FAQs, testimonials, reviews, again, from um, what we do in Africa. And so if there's something on there that doesn't answer a question, then please do something that is absolutely amazing. Just connect with us. And for me personally, Fledge at sunsafaris.com. Fledge like pledge with an F. Uh-huh. Sunsafaris.com. Shoot me a note. I would love to have a conversation with you to see how we can help God communicate through his creation. Well, Fledge, I have a great time. I really appreciate it. I had a really great time with you. Wonderful. Thanks for having me.